my custom if you're visiting with us is to always bring up the community time question. And so some people ignore the question, but if you paid attention to the question, the question was, do you fill out reviews on Google, Amazon, I don't know what else things people, the Yahoo's, the, I don't know, what do you fill it on? I'm not somebody who does that, obviously. So who are people who are review people? Raise your hand. It's not a shameful thing. Really, that's it. Just a few people. And then everybody else, you're not review people. Who has one time filled out a review? Okay, so more of you have one time. You just don't want to be labeled as a review person. I see how it's going here. Always, you guys are always saying, don't box me in. I get it. Okay. All right, so sometimes we fill out reviews. Um, I've only done the review thing when somebody's asked me to. Like, could you go online and review my book? So this is kind of an interesting thing for me. I also don't read them very often. And I've noticed after some pretty bad Amazon purchases, I really should read the reviews. Um, so I thought if we're going to talk about trust issues with the church, something fascinating for me to do in preparation for uh, this sermon would be to look at the reviews that people leave for churches here in the Twin Cities on Google. Okay, so uh, this was fascinating, you guys. I have never looked at these before. Not one time have I ever looked at a Google review for a church. I mean, maybe you have, I don't know, but I, this was fascinating. There was a couple things that were fascinating. First, they were overwhelmingly positive. I, that surprised me, and so the cynic, you can just label me as a cynic then. They were, they were overwhelmingly positive for most of the churches that I read. But then there were always a couple really interesting ones, and I had to share them with you because they were so interesting. So it was fascinating. Uh, the first, this, here's one. One, so there's a five-star rating, okay? So one star to five stars. I think five is good. So one star. You go here if you want watered-down theology and rock and roll music. They basically affirm you in your sinning. Ouch. The rest of them were five stars. And then this one. One star. The message on screen was pre-recorded with the pastor. I don't know if they were shocked about that. They probably should have known that. Um, I understand that this is the wave of the future for churches. However, I didn't go to church to watch TV. Same church. So that was one star. Same church. Five stars. I loved the sermon. The first time we went, I didn't even know the pastor wasn't real. So I think it's helpful to state that that is a real person. It's not, a, it's not an unreal person. It's not a hologram or something like that. It's a pre-recording. Uh, so then there was one four stars, good, period. Now that's what I think of this church. I, not helpful. Uh, five stars, five stars. I am visiting with this, this church with a girl I just started dating. I'm a person who rarely goes to church. <laughs> And I've been on the fence with God for a long time, and I can honestly say this was the first time I've been to a church without spacing out half the time. And this had nothing to do with the girl who dragged you there? I'm just saying. I don't know. Five stars. Okay, three stars. I enjoyed the sermon, but the music is way too loud, and they don't even offer earplugs. Same church. Two stars. I'm used to more loud, upbeat music. I'm not going to be coming back. Okay. This is my favorite one of all the ones I looked at. And don't worry, I did not spend too much time on this. But favorite one that I, that I saw the whole time I was looking, three stars. Meh. <laughs> Just like M-E-H. Meh. Okay, so somebody went online to make sure that they could push three stars and write meh. I'm just saying hobbies, people, hobbies. Okay, so Mill City only has one review, and in the whole eight years that we've ever had, and it's two stars, okay? So anybody who's new, I'm warning you now, you can go. Like, that's two stars, all right? I'm just saying, you still have, you've been warned, okay? And honestly, if anybody has negative reviews, you can talk to us. You don't have to talk to Google. 
And by us, I mean you can address your emails to Michael Binder, mb at millcitychurch.com. And he will take care of all the, the issues. Right? Did we, yeah, there, good. I just checking. That's what we were, bring them. I thought that was what we were doing. No. Uh, honestly, in all seriousness, we, we do want to hear from people, um, Google or no Google, totally, talk to, talk to us, talk to the staff members and the leaders here. That is definitely what we would welcome. But in many ways, I think these reviews, whether they're these glowing five-star reviews or these kind of awkward one, two-star reviews, uh, I just don't think they're real. Like, I just don't think they're acknowledging reality. First of all, I think it's an interesting thing that uh, people are reviewing church like a product. I mean, that's just an interesting thing. And mostly they're talking about worship services, right? Uh, so that's interesting. And then I just think that the, the amount of five stars that I saw, I mean, really, like, there is no person I have ever met in my entire life who doesn't have some baggage from church. Like, and if they don't, they're about to, you know? Like, I just, I don't know anybody that, that feels that way, so I don't know if it was kind of like they sent out a tweet, hey, everybody, five stars, you know, or really, is there just no baggage? And so, um, you know, I, I think that is true because the church is a bunch of broken people, and broken people hurt each other and hurts and all of those types of things create baggage. So uh, if baggage were to be in this room representing all of the baggage by all of us in this room, I think it'd be a little bit more cozy in here. And this right here, this isn't re representing all the baggage in the room. This is just the worship team. Like, I, no, I actually asked them to bring their luggage this morning to, for the illustration. This is just their actual physical luggage. Did you mean... I wasn't trying to make a statement about the worship team. They're, they're great. So this is just representing, I mean, this is the worship team's baggage from home. And so I, I, here's the thing. The Google reviews are just not accurate. They're not real. There's no five-star church. My dad was a pastor, and he always said one of those groaner lines where he would say something like, you know what? Keep looking, and when you find the perfect church, it won't be perfect anymore because you'll be there all the time. I can't even count how many times I heard him say that. And, and even the negative reviews, like when you're reading them, they're so surfacey. Like they're not down in the deep situations that honestly, to be completely serious, when I've heard your stories, it's deep. Like the hurt, the baggage, the stuff, it's deep. It's not on the surface. And I would say that even for myself, this is a reality. In fact, as I was preparing, I thought about the moment, the first of many moments, where I wondered whether or not I could actually trust the church. I actually remember where I was and what the day was. Uh, the story starts when we moved to Minnesota from Atlanta, Georgia, and I was about six, five or six years old, I forget exactly. And uh, we got here, and right away we joined this church called Redeemer Covenant Church in Brooklyn Park. And uh, my mom's still a member there. And within nine months, the pastor was arrested for having molested over 15 kids in the 30 years that he was a pastor at this church. And the 15 are just the ones who came forward in prosecuting him. And this was a crazy and shocking experience. 30 years this man had been a pastor at this church. And there wasn't, there was a complete shock. My dad was working for another ministry at the time, but had been a pastor and was a pastor. So they asked him to do what they call pulpit fill. So during this time of extreme stress and shock, my dad was preaching for a year and was the, the interim preacher for a year. Um, and here's the thing. I was six years old. Nobody told me about this. I was six, so I think that's fair, right? Nobody explained to me exactly what had happened. 
And so a, a few years later, I was nine. I was visiting uh, some friends in their cabin in Eau Claire, and they were not Christians. And at their cabin, they had the TV on, and some sort of like Dateline like TV show came on that was like an hour long, and it was covering Redeemer Covenant Church and the scandal of this pastor who had uh, abused this many children over 30 years. And I'm in this room with these people who I know aren't Christians, and I'm watching my, my church on TV, and I have no awareness that this even happened three years before that. And so you can imagine my little nine-year-old mind trying to wrap my head around this situation. And my, my friends are asking me if I knew about this, and I'm just shocked. I don't think I even said anything. And I'm trying to understand what's happening here, and that was right then the first moment that I wondered if I could trust the church. And I think you'd think that's fair, right? I mean, my questions were, can I trust the church to be honest with me? Can I trust that this new pastor, I mean, is somebody that I can trust? What about the fact that this church went 30 years without knowing this was going on? Can I trust that? Can I trust that when other people see this news briefing or whatever it was, news program, that my church is even going to stay open? I was full of questions. And, of course, we're in Eau Claire and I'm waiting two days before we go home to, to have this conversation with my parents, and they explained it with me, and that was good. But let's be honest, that was a moment of questioning trust in the church. I want to just say that it's a miracle, but this church is still alive and well. One of the miracles that I've seen in my life is watching God redeem Redeemer Covenant Church. It's a miracle, you guys. The amount of pain, the amount of suffering... And they're still trying to follow God, and they're doing awesome things. They're a bunch of broken people, too. My mom's one of them. Sorry, mom's Mother's Day. And she's there. She's a part of the church. And you know what? But they're, they're still doing that. It's a miracle all these years later that they're still following God. And I want to say that that is what it means for God to be a redeemer. But talk about baggage at a young age, right? Talk about questions. And I want to suggest today that we all have some church baggage. If we've been a part of the church for more than, I don't know, a week, we're probably collecting some church baggage because we have people who are different, people who hurt each other, people who don't mean to hurt each other, people who do it on purpose. All of that is what makes up the church. And surely some of the baggage that we have is about maybe growing up in a church that had different views than us or sometimes growing up with a tradition where people really thought differently than now you currently think. And so there's baggage from that. But I know the stories in this room. I know the type of baggage that we're talking about, and it's not uh, lighthearted Google review baggage. It is things like this, spiritual and physical abuse by people in the church, just like what happened in my church growing up, being fired or let go unjustly from a church staff, Spiritual manipulation, being told you have to behave in a certain way in order for God to love you, instead of the truth that there's nothing we can do that makes God love us more or less. Being a part of a church that expressed hatred towards a certain group of people or individuals. Being told that you should stay in abusive relationships instead of getting help because you were told you should be more forgiving. Being told you couldn't lead because of your gender, your age, your marital status, your race, or something like that. Being asked to do so much that you experienced major burnout. Being spiritually shamed for your experience of mental illness instead of being encouraged to seek professional help or medication. Being lied to by leaders. 
pastors and leaders of churches that have hurt you, people in churches that have hurt you as a pastor or a leader. I know those are stories in this room. It goes both ways. Experiencing loneliness and a difficulty with people not opening up to develop close relationships and feeling shut out. I mean, the list could go on. And I do not doubt that this has happened when people tell me these stories. And I'm positive that the church, including this one, Mill City, has been one that has hurt people. Because we, too, here are a group of broken people. And so before we go any further today, before we talk about what the Bible might say and all these different things, I really want to say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God never intended for us to hurt each other like that. When the church is hurting people, it is outside the purposes that God has for it, period. I'm so sorry that any experience of church, including this one, has hurt you. I'm sorry that individuals or groups in a church have hurt you. You aren't alone in feeling this way. And you need to know that God sees you and his heart breaks for you. When we're God's kids and God's kids are hurting each other, God's heart is full of sorrow when that happens. No one deserves to be treated like anything other than a child of God. It doesn't matter what they've done or where they've been or what somebody's done to them. God's grace is sufficient. And doing harm to another person, especially intentionally, is not of God. So, we're all pretty broken people. And I hope you can agree. And so I think a question that we might ask is, how did we get here? So I want to talk today just briefly about the book of Acts and then some words from the Apostle Paul as the beginning and then the launch of the church began in the Bible. In the book of Acts, this is the story of how the church got its start. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, the first books of the New Testament, uh, was leading his disciples or his followers, and it grew to be a, a large group of people. And during that time of leadership, he was investing in them. He was teaching them to do what he did. He was teaching them to live out the words that he spoke. And then he dies and he conquers death and comes back to life. And then he tells them, maybe surprisingly, he's going to leave. But it's not that he's going to leave them alone. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them, to be a guide, to be a counselor to them. And so the book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. Apostles is another word for leaders of that time. And I think it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because really, the Holy Spirit was taking action, and the apostles and the, the people who were the beginning of the church were just trying to catch up with what the Holy Spirit was doing. So this community of people began to form, and this group began to be called the church. And this word in Greek is ecclesia. It means assembly. It means people, a group of people assembling. That's what it means in Greek, literally. And so uh, we know that the early Christians assembled in places. They assembled in homes, they assembled in temples, they assembled in large public gathering spaces. There was multiple places that they assembled, and so that word started to be used. So when you see the word church anywhere in the New Testament, it is the word ecclesia. And so uh, Paul uses it all the time, and many of the, other, many of the, the, the writers in, in Acts, you see all people using that word when they're speaking. And what they're saying is the assembly, the assembly of Christians. And so I want to start with uh, one of the first descriptions of the church, and it's in Acts 2, verse 42. I'm going to read verse 42 to 47. If you have a Bible, Acts 2. Otherwise, we'll have it up here on the screen for you. This is the beginning, one of the first descriptions of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Doesn't that sound nice? I mean, that just sounds great. I don't think any of us would have any baggage if that was our experience, right? And let me tell you, I think that that description lasted like about 36 hours. I'm serious. I mean, don't get me wrong. Amazing things happened. People on the margins were welcomed in. There was miracles. There was healing. There was growth. There was care for the poor. There were people finding unity and diversity. But within just three chapters of this passage I just read, things start to go south. Throughout the book of Acts, we see all sorts of crazy things that would lead to all sorts of Google reviews in the first century. I'm serious. So just listen. There's lies, cheating other people, leaders failing the expectations of those following, leaders fighting and splitting the group up, disagreements about money, huge ideological and theological disagreements that split people up, specifically the idea of the Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish, being welcomed into the church. Debates about what should and shouldn't happen in worship. People believing that they are too important for certain roles. And probably many other things that weren't written down. Does any of this sound familiar? The church has been a group of broken people trying to follow God for 2,000 years. That is a lot of baggage, right? Read just a little bit of church history and you will see the piles of baggage that we have as a group. A lot of trust has been broken. This is nothing new. Dorothy Day, who was the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, some of you know of her, she was a woman who was, became known in the 60s for her care for the poor, the ways that she engaged the people experiencing homelessness in New York City. And she once said this, As to the church, where else shall we go except to the bride of Christ, one flesh with Christ? Though she is a harlot at times, she is our mother. And Dorothy is referring to the imagery found in the book of Hosea, where the people of God are compared to a wife of God that is unfaithful and is, is prostituting herself. And I find it fitting on Mother's Day to point out not a comparison between prostituting and mothers, but to point out that the church has been referred to many times over history as collectively our mother, as the bride of Christ, our mother. None of us have a perfect relationship with our moms. If somebody does, like, tell us the secret, but we don't. Even if your relationship with your mother is great uh, or maybe kind of okay or it was not okay and now it's good, or even if you've had a really rough relationship with your mom, even if your mom's not with us anymore, maybe you didn't even know your mom, but regardless, this person is still your mother. Even if your relationship is broken to the point that you don't even speak, she is still your mother. So there's always the option to give up, right? To walk away from our mother in our relationship with our mother. There's always the option to give up and to walk away from the church as mother. And there's always the option to claim that the church is nothing of the sort in relationship to you. Honestly, from the stories I've heard, I get it. I get the decision to walk away. But if we're going to stick it out, let's say that at least we're here today, so we're talking about, thinking about sticking it out, to see if God can actually make beautiful things out of the brokenness in our lives. To see if God can make beautiful people out of broken people. 
to see if we as the church could figure out how to continue to live out the purpose that God's given the church. Then, I think, we'd have to go back to something I mentioned last week, and that simply was when I was talking about whether or not we could trust our neighbor, is that we can't always trust our neighbor. We can't always trust people. And the church is a group of people, and we can't always trust other people not to hurt us. But are we willing to extend trust to each other, even if it's not deserved, and even if we know we might get hurt, because we think there's something bigger that God might be doing? Now, I want you to notice that I'm referring to the church as a people, right? I'm not talking about the building, obviously. Hopefully, that's obvious. And I also want to make a distinction here as well. I am wanting us to see the church not merely as an institution, which it has become one, but as a group of people. And the reason I want to make this distinction is because I think that the Apostle Paul makes this distinction as well. Because the Apostle Paul uses the word ecclesia, or church, that I mentioned earlier, but he also uses a really deep metaphor when talking about the people. Not the assembly, but the people. He uses the phrase, the body of Christ. The body of Jesus. Jesus in the flesh. Ephesians 4 is a passage that uh, we wrote our membership covenant here at Mill City based on. And I want to read just a, a couple parts of Ephesians 4. The first is Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. And this is what Paul says as he's using this really powerful imagery. He says this, Ephesians 4, 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Over and over and over, Paul uses this image, the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, that we are actually being the body of Christ, being Jesus to people. And when we actually do that, when that actually happens, and you notice here that Jesus, God's action actually has to be a part of that, but when we actually do that, then we are trustworthy. But when the institution is beginning to be swapped out for Jesus or God, things get a little messed up. Because we often get the church and, and Jesus or some broken leader, so you get the church and, and some broken leader or a situation or people in the church, I don't know, and we get it confused with Jesus or God. And so then when you have expectations for Jesus or God, which are, are big, of course you're going to be disappointed. Of course you're going to be let down severely. It's only when the body of Christ is, as Paul says, building itself up in love that we can be Jesus to each other. But our brokenness gets in the way. Our brokenness often gets in the way. So next week, uh, we're going to actually have a part two to this, and Michael's going to talk a little bit more about what the church is. But if I wanted to just say, just simply, the church often has an identity crisis. The vehicle, the church is the vehicle for God's mission. That's the way that we talk about it. God's mission is the end, and the church is the means to that end. And it is, for better or for worse, God's choice method for people working together to participate with God, to move towards this world that God loves. God brings restoration and shalom and peace in his kingdom. And I'm kind of convinced that God could have done it without us, but for some reason allows us to be a part of it, as broken as we are, as broken as it is. And so the church, as a people... Everywhere the church should go, we should bring healing and provision and justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness into every single space that the church as a people inhabit because that's the effects of the kingdom of God. 
And when the church forgets its purpose and is having an identity crisis, it hurts people. That's part of what happens. So, Paul finishes these words in Ephesians 4, or finishes Ephesians 4 with these words. Let me, let me read these to you. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So if we're going to come even close to living together the way that Paul describes here, then we're going to need to take a serious look at our baggage and how we are or aren't dealing with some of that baggage in our lives. So with this last piece here, I just want to talk about the ways I've seen us deal with our baggage as I close. So here's the main way that I see us dealing with our baggage. And of course, I'm going to use one of these as a prop, okay? Is that okay with everybody? Props? We cool with props? Okay, just checking. I really did borrow these from the worship team. I'm not kidding. A couple of them are mine and my mom's, but it's Mother's Day gift. All right, so let's imagine that this here is our, my baggage, okay? So this is the way that I think, that the few ways that I see people actually handling their baggage, and then I just want to mention maybe just an idea of how we might choose to do that. So the first thing I see people do is have this baggage and pretend like they don't have any. You know, like, pretend like it's not there, like people don't see that it's there. And when you pretend like it doesn't exist, what's happening is that you actually start adding more things to it. And I want to think about, like, incidents in the church. Like, this is an incident of something that happens, all right? And so even though you're pretending it's not there, more things are being added to it all the time. And so actually what's happening is you're pretending that you don't even have this thing, but it's getting, like, heavier and heavier and more and more awkward to hide and pretend like you don't have. And so I think when we do this, what we are communicating is, I don't struggle. I'm unaffected by the drama. But we are. Okay, so second way I see people handling their baggage. I feel like they act like it's fine. Like, this is no big deal. I've got this. Like, this is my baggage. It's with me all the time. In fact, look, it's kind of cool these days to have church baggage. Isn't this nice looking? It's cool. So I've got it. Don't try to help me carry it. Even if I'm really struggling and it's really heavy and the wheel's busted or something, I've got this. I don't need your help. All right? So the other thing is, is we, f we refuse to actually open it up and see what's in there. And so I would say that if we're doing this, what we're saying is, I'm fine. The number one lie in the state of Minnesota. Okay? All right, so then I think there's this uh, other way that we might deal with it, and that is we take our luggage and we sit in the corner and we sit on it and we pout and we wonder if somebody might notice all this baggage that I have here it's really hard for me and what we're doing when we do this is we're kind of hoping that people are going to notice this time out we've put ourselves in and I've had people tell me that they've skipped out on worship services 
just see if anybody notices. And then the church is like taking a test they didn't know they were taking or something. And so I think that when we're doing that, what we're saying is, I'm testing other people to see if they care, and I don't think they do. All right, so then I think another way that we might deal with our baggage is something like this, where we actually have it open, we know what's inside of here, and we have it open and ready to go, okay? Because if somebody else hurts us one more time, we're going to whip something out and pop them in the face. I'm going to pop you right in the face, seriously, because that hurt, and I was triggered, so I'm going to pop you right in the face with that. Because there's this stuff, and it's there, and it's heavy, and you're frustrated about it. And so when something else frustrates you, you're going to pop somebody in the face with the thing that happened before. They weren't even there. And so I think one of the things that we say in this way is, I was hurt, and so now I want to know how other people, I want other people to know how I feel. I think that's what we're saying when we do this. All right, so then there's another way that we might deal with that, and that is, I'm going to take my bag, and I'm going to leave. I'm out of here. And we might leave and go to another church, and as many of you know, a lot of people are leaving and saying, forget this church thing altogether. And one of the big misconceptions is, you can't actually leave this in the back row of the auditorium. It goes with you. And so you take it with you into whatever new church you go into. You take it within you to, to, with you to whatever community you go to, if it's not a church. Whoever you're around, you are carrying this baggage, and it's going to impact the situations that you're in. And so I think what people are saying here is, I quit. This is too hard. And like I said, I, I understand. And then maybe they're also saying, there's got to be something better than what I'm experiencing here. And so I want to just put a disclaimer out there and say, I think there are times when people do need to leave churches, where something is so unhealthy and people are not willing to, to acknowledge how unhealthy it is. And there are healthy ways to leave churches and unhealthy ways to leave churches. And all of that's different than looking for the perfect church, right? So you get where I'm coming from. So then I would say the sixth and final way that I see people handling the church uh, baggage is that they've got their baggage here and they're, you know, they're getting to know a new church. Maybe they walked into a new church because they left. Maybe they've been in this church so long, whatever church it is, and the baggage is getting so overwhelming and it's starting to burst at the seams and without even trying, they just dump all their stuff all over everybody. And people are like, whoa, where did that come from? Because I don't know about you, but I was sitting on my baggage or I was hiding mine or whatever. So that's, whoa, I don't know about that. So, I've been to some churches where the sanctuary might as well be a ball pit because that's happened so many times. And if some of you young at heart people are like, that sounds fun, it's not fun. It's horrible, okay? So this is the reality, I think, that a lot of people experience their baggage. So then just simply put, how should we deal with the baggage that we all have, I'm suggesting? I think it would be to handle your baggage with care. Imagine that it has a fragile sticker on it because it is. How can we stop and open the bag that we're carrying, take out some of the contents of it, examine this, recognize that Jesus is with us, examining the contents with us, is trying to help us to, to work through what some of this stuff might be. It's a process. We have to pray then about who else in the body of Christ can help us look at some of these incidents and situations that are inside all of these suitcases. Because you can imagine that this person over here might be really helpful with this one, or this person over there might be really helpful with this one because of their perspective and their experience and the way that they listen to God. And this is one of the reasons that we have missional communities here at this church. Smaller groups of people, still, still family, extended family-sized groups of people, but smaller groups of people that look at each other in the face and not at the back of each other's heads like you're all doing right now. But people who get to know each other, people who can have... Uh, 
relationships that build trust, where you don't have to trust right away, but you get to know each other. And then you begin to say, hey, would you examine some of this stuff with me? Because the truth is, is when we start to do that, some of those things we realize, I don't need this in here. Like this is, what, why did I even put this in here in the first place? This is not helpful. But then there's other things that stay in there, you know? Like I don't think the thing that happened in my church growing up is ever going to leave my bag. But over time, the bag gets lighter because some things are being taken out, but also because you're inviting Jesus and other people to help you carry it because it's not going to go away completely. They're helping you carry it, helping you move to where you need to go, just like if, you know, those families that show up with way too much luggage at the airport. So we can't always trust the church, but we are, when we are truly, as the church, trying to be the body of Christ, that is something worth trying to put your trust in. The only way to do that, though, to trust the body of Christ, is to trust Christ, to trust Jesus. That he really is working. He really is in the midst of all of the broken people in this room and in this big thing we call the church. He wants to make beautiful things from our brokenness. God wants to make beautiful things even out of our baggage. But we have to trust God for that. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I felt like it was fitting today even this that every second Sunday we celebrate communion together. And when we celebrate communion, this bread and this cup, we're, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. His body was broken in order that brokenness would not be the end of our story. And his blood was shed for forgiveness so that we don't have to carry the burdens of what we've done or what has been done to us. And so we say today at Mill City, anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to participate with us in communion. Uh, you don't have to be a member here at this church. Um, we'll form two lines, and you just take the bread and you dip it into the cup. It's gluten-free bread, so everybody can participate. Uh, when you take communion, this is what you're saying, and Phil's going to put this up on the screen for me, Phil. You're saying, God, I trust you, and I trust you, Jesus, and what you have done for us. This is what you're expressing by the action of, of dipping the cup. You're, you're committing yourself again to Jesus. And so I want to ask you to do one final thing, and it might seem just a little bit silly, but we've got two buckets of these little balls here. So after you take your communion, um, I invite you to consider taking one of these balls and saying this is, this is one of those incidents, those broken trust incidents, or maybe represents a few of them, that I'm going to take and I'm going to examine this. And I'm going to let Jesus help me do that. And I'm going to invite community to help me do that. Not everybody in the whole community, but some people in my life. And if this ball helps you remember to, to just take that next step in the process, then grab one of those on your way back to your seat. So what you're saying here then is uh, I invite Jesus and community to help me carry this baggage. And then one final invitation. We're going to have people along this wall and along this wall who would love to pray for you. And so you can just come up to them and be like, yeah, I have one of these, so just pray about that. Um, or you can have them pray about anything, anything, or even nothing. Just say, just pray for me. They would love to do that. So you have communion. You can take one of the balls if you'd like, and then somebody can pray for you on your way back to your seat, but that's an option for you. So will you join me in prayer? God, we, we feel vulnerable to talk about these things together. I know I do. Um, it feels like our brokenness is coming to the surface. The, the, the baggage that I know I've tried to hide, it just comes out. And I, God, we need your grace. We need your truth. We need your love. We need you to give us the, the strength to trust you, to help our unbelief. 
to believe that you can make beautiful things out of the things that are so broken. We want to be your church. We want to be the vehicle for your mission. We want to see a world full of your kingdom, God, but we have so much stuff that we need you to help us with. So we pray for supernatural trust and vulnerability in this community, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.